0: find new ways to become even more innovative in how we lead our people, how we operate, to how we grow our businesses, to how we serve our customers. Together we want to share strategies and tools that can make the industry thrive long-term, not just survive. There's a number of reasons
1: why people find it difficult to ask for what they need. I think a lot of this does go back to our, our educational system you know, little kids are really good. They ask questions all the time, you know, and, but that kind of gets drummed out of them because, you know, over time there's peer pressure to not ask questions or you're really, you're supposed to work on your own work and, you know, asking for help is cheating. And that's one reason, but there's, there's other reasons that feed into this. One is that a lot of times people don't ask because they think no one can help them. You know, they underestimate the willingness and ability of other people to help. And there's a number of really interesting studies that have been done, uh, which shows that even strangers are willing to help if they are asked. So that's one. Another one is that people are afraid, and this is particularly true in the workplace, of asking for what they might need because they are concerned they're gonna look weak or incompetent or ignorant or not able to do their job. But here the research is helpful for correcting that belief
0: Today, we have the privilege of sitting down with Wayne Baker, author of the transformative book, All You Have To Do Is Ask. And yes, you will find out, he's a real maverick. And Wayne's work were initially introduced to me by my friend John Mason from Sideways. And I can tell you, it has and is still game changing for how I operate and think about solving problems in life and business. In our conversation today, Wayne shares his profound insights around the power of asking and how it can be pivotable in achieving personal and organizational success. He shares the challenges that many individuals face when it comes to asking. We don't like to do it. And he shares some valuable tips on how you overcome these obstacles and unlock the potential for tremendous success by the simple act of asking. A central theme in the book, all you have to do is ask, is the concept of reciprocity in relationship. The give and take that foster cooperation and growth. Wayne guides us through how you as an organization cultivate the power of asking and giving and outline numbers of benefits that arise for creating such an working environment. We discussed the role of technology In asking for help and Wayne sheds lights on the blessing and curses it brings when we start introducing more technology to help us be more productive in the workplace, but also how we can leverage it to ask for help. We explore examples of leaders and companies that embodies the principles Wayne talk about in his book. And we take a trip back to one of my favorite companies to talk about Study the Singermans in an Arbor. If you like today's episode, it will mean the world to me if you can leave a review of the show on either our website, Apple Podcasts, or Spotify. The better the reviews, the better the guest. ultimately, the better the learning is for you. If you're looking for enhancing your ability to ask, you'll find Wayne's practical tips invaluable both for your personal and professional life. Grab a notebook and enjoy. So today we will be talking about, you know, what has to become one of my favorite books by Wayne Baker, which we have here on the screen. All you have to do is ask. And I am not only, you know, a book I've read once. I think I'm the fifth time as I was preparing this interview with Wayne today. And it's such a simple idea, but so powerful. And I, as I've been reading it again and again, I found out other guests that's been on the show talks about it. They maybe not call it ask, but they talk about involving people to get better solutions or thinking out of your own thinking. And my friend John, that gave me this book or bought it and forwarded it to me on the Kindle. Uh, he's built his whole you know business around it now as well. And he goes around talking about this as a philosophy. In two. So this is a very, very powerful book. We're going to be talking about that. So I'm very excited to welcome you. Wayne to the show. It's an absolute pleasure, and I'm sure we're gonna give some some great advice, and maybe some people are gonna have a whole new, you know, mindset around what actually you can do with this simple little gesture of asking.
1: Oh, well, thank you, Michael. I'm very glad to
0: have an opportunity to uh, to speak with you, Wayne. How did it come along that you know you've been on a on a journey, and how did you end up with finding out that you have to write a book about all you have to do is ask.
1: Well, I can trace the origin of the idea back over 20 years ago when my wife, Cheryl, and I created an activity that we call the Reciprocity Ring. Yeah. And that is a group-level activity for a team or a group. People who come together, and they're required to do two things. One is to ask for something that they need and explain what it is, why they need it, when they need it by, and so forth. And then other people in the activity will respond and see and, and describe how they can help. Perhaps they've got the answer. They have the resource and they can share it or they don't, but they can tap their outside network and make a connection so that person can get the response or the resource that they need. So it's a very structured way of doing this. There's a recipe that we've developed for the reciprocity ring, but that's basically what it is a mechanism to enable asking for and giving help in a, in a group or a team. And I always started that activity the same way. I gave a little lecture about the importance of generosity, the importance of giving, the importance of really responding to what people have asked for. But I found that was never the problem. People were extraordinarily generous and helpful, but almost everyone struggled with coming up with a request to come up with an ask. And I was surprised at first, and I would I kind of encourage people, try to motivate people to do it. And then finally, I realized, you know what, this is difficult for most people. So I started to do research on it and eventually wrote this book, All You Have to Do Is Ask, to enable people to get better at asking for what they need. And of course, you want to be generous and help people. But, you know, it's amazing the the, the crux of generosity is not getting people to
0: help, it's getting people to ask. And-, and- what was it like where was the tipping point for you where you thought okay here is something that that might really can impact the world in in a positive way when you read your book it's all about actually how can you put more you know positivity out in the world you can feel that theme going through and how can you help people to live you know the best life possible but where was the tipping point because it's always you know from doing you know research or whatever you do in life you, you run a business at some point you just know I need to go and do this thing. I need to go and live it fully.
1: Well, it was, a, it was an idea that really evolved over time. It did start with the reciprocity ring, but as we used that over the years and gained experience with that, uh, I found that it would work in different languages, different countries, different cultures. You know, People would say, oh, this will never work in, mm. in Asia. Well, it works in Asia. It'll never work in the Middle East, but we've done it in the Middle East. It'll never work in Germany or Denmark or wherever. But it's been done all over the place. And I really started to get really fascinated with this idea of the way in which, you know, we all need things, right? We need resources. No person is an island. Uh, we need social capital. We need resources from other people in order to be effective. And I started to, you know, do more research on it. I started to collect other activities or learn about other activities or ways in which you can enable this whole flow of resources in the world's network. And it really enables people to be better engaged in the world, uh, to get over that fear of asking for what they need. And really, it really mobilizes the resources that are out there. So individuals are more effective, but teams are more effective and whole organizations are more effective as well.
0: Yeah, and you talked a bit about it in the the intro to here, and also you you talk very clearly about or write about it very clearly in the book where you talk about these these barriers for people to ask. People principle just find it very difficult to ask for things. And I always say to myself, before I go into anything now, I've got this mantra say, What is that I'm gonna ask about by the end of this meeting, this coffee conversation, what is it I want to ask the other person to help me with? Because you know, you never know what's going to happen. You don't even know who they know. But why is that It's so difficult for us to ask?
1: Yeah, there's a number of reasons why people find it difficult to ask for what they need. Uh, I think a lot of this does go back to our, our educational system. You know, you know, little kids are really good. They ask questions all the time, you know. and But that kind of gets drummed out of them because, you know, over time, there's peer pressure to not ask questions or... You're really you're supposed to work on your own work and, you know, asking for help is cheating. And, you know, so people start that, you know, that's one reason. Uh, but I, there's, there's other reasons that, uh, that feed into this. One is that a lot of times people don't ask because they think no one can help them. You know, they underestimate the willingness and ability of other people to help. And there's a number of really interesting studies that have been done, uh, which shows that even strangers are willing to help if they are asked. So so that's one. Another one is that people are afraid, and this is particularly true in the workplace, of asking for what they might need because they are concerned they're gonna look weak or incompetent or ignorant or not able to do their job. But here the research is helpful for correcting that belief. The research says that as long as we make an effective, thoughtful request, people will think you are more competent, not less. And so then that feeds into another reason is that, how, you know, sometimes people just don't know what they really need, or if they know what they need, they don't know how to ask for it. They don't know how to formulate an effective request. And so that's why I get down into the, the nitty gritty in this book to really say, okay, what is it? Let's dissect what a, a request really is so that we can get better at asking for it. And it, wor- it works. Uh, when my son was growing up, it worked with him if I applied this. You know, for example, explaining the reason for the request, the why of the request is very important, but oftentimes we just assume that other people know it's important. Well, that's, they don't know why it's important. You need to tell people, whether it's your child that you're raising, whether it's your boss or peer, or what have you.
0: And, and, it's, and it's interesting when you talk about the why as well, but one of the things I really grabbed from, from the book was I thought it was really interesting. And as I, you know, you need to practice this one thing because i actually thought i was asking a lot because when you pitch your own business you're asking for a lot of things but actually you have to be very specific if it's even with investors with peers with your business partner like be very specific about what you're asking about and one of the things is that there's there's some exercises and really good examples in the book and maybe you can elaborate a bit like when you actually start mastering the art of asking, you know, uh, we actually need to be very specific about the things we're asking or else it's just going to go in as, oh, well, I'm not actually 100% sure what that person asked for. So uh, now if I'm looking for a specific person, I would describe the person, I'm looking for this kind of person with this kind of experience that's done this before, could you please put me in touch? That would be an example of where I would be very, very specific about that person. Or else we find an example on LinkedIn and say, this guy... I, as an example, you might know him, but this this is really what I'm looking for.
1: Mm-hmm. And so, I, In the book, I talk about uh, a SMART request and I use yeah. the acronym SMART as the, the elements of an effective or a thoughtful request. Now, we're all familiar with SMART goals. SMART requests is a little bit different. So the S in SMART is for specific. And again, this is something I learned uh, over the years was that the more specific your request, the more likely it will get fulfilled. A lot of times people think just the opposite. Well, if I make a general request or I cast a, a wide net, I'll get more answers, but that's not true. So the more specific, the better. Uh, the M in SMART is for meaningful or the why of the request. And I would mentioned before that oftentimes people leave that out. We need to explain why is it important? Why is it meaningful? This particular request that you want to make. And then the A in SMART is for an action. You're asking for something to be done. Sometimes, uh, I saw that people would just restate their goal or their objective, but that's a goal is a destination. A request gets you a resource that you need to move towards that destination. So you're asking for something to be done. The R in SMART is for realistic, that it has to be within the realm of possibility. Uh, But I do encourage people to make stretch requests, make big requests. And then the last one is T for time, or when do you need it by? And Mm. the more specific you are, the better. So some people say, well, I just need it by the end of next year. You're not going to get much help. But if you say, I really need it by the end of the day for this reason, Mm. you're much more likely to get help.
0: What about, you know, you talk a bit about in, in the book as well, that, you know, you know you have to give to be able to, to take reciprocity. You talked mm-hmm. about before, and actually often people think that you said that people actually believe that other people would not help them. They don't want to give, but actually what also you come to the conclusion in the book is that the more you give <laughs> and ask, and people actually you know, that there's like this, you know, kind of swing wheel effect, which is used mm-hmm. Jim Collins, you know, where you slowly would see in these relationships or organizations that actually, it, it just gets stronger and stronger because actually people love to give. We love to help, you know, there's nothing better to somebody ask you for help than you feel important, I guess.
1: Right. Well, yeah, well, that's one of the reasons why a request can be effective is that, you know, if I come to you, Michael, and say, you know, I need your advice on this business idea, I'm acknowledging that, you're a smart well educated informed person that you're a good person to go to for advice right i'm I'm implicitly conveying that that's one reason why a well thought out or effective request is people are more likely to see that you're competent rather than less competent but yeah there's you know if you you keep that smart uh, criteria in mind, the beginning of it is is what I call the pause, which is that you need to stop pause, and really think about. What is your objective? What is your goal? What are you trying Mm. to accomplish? I know that some people after hearing this advice, will either they might end the business day thinking about what they're trying to accomplish the next day, or they might start early in the morning and say, okay, what am I trying to accomplish today? And then they've got that in mind. And then say, okay, well, well, what resources do I need? Do I need participation in a meeting? Do I need more information? Do I need a report? What is it? Then you formulate your SMART request. And then you, then you have to figure out, well, who do you ask? You know, oftentimes people say, well, I just don't know who to ask. Well, sometimes you don't know who to ask. Of course, if you do know, you should just go ask that person. But if you don't yeah. know, there's a lot of other things that you can do. For example, you could make a, a two-step request, uh, which is, let's say that, you know, I don't, I don't know who the expert is in a particular area but I know someone who probably does know. So it's like two steps or even could be three steps. So you Mm -hmm. make that kind of, you you know, you target your request to that particular person who's going to introduce you two or three steps down the road. Or it could be that uh, you can reactivate what are called your dormant connections. A dormant connection is just someone that you knew in the past, perhaps someone you worked with or went to school with, and you've, your lives have gone in different directions and you've not stayed in touch. Well, A lot of people would be reluctant about reactivating a dormant tie. And, but here the research is helpful. Uh, The research says it's just the opposite. Most of your dormant connections would be delighted to Mm -hmm. reactivate the connection. And they are really important sources of help because, you know, because your lives have gone in different directions, they know different people and they know different things than you do. And so they could be even more helpful. And then finally, the last thing if you don't know who to ask, is that you can post your request in a group. So it could be LinkedIn. It could be perhaps a Facebook group or at work, there might be, you know, different groups, uh, maybe in an affinity group that you're a part of at work, you know, that you can, you can post a request to that group. So it's not targeting any particular person. It's notifying the community that you need help for this reason, by when, and that is really effective. In fact, when I was writing this book and I needed like a fresh example about something, I would use that that last method of posting to a group. And it's I, I met people all over the world that way. It was just really wonderful. And I got examples and stories that I never would have gotten if I hadn't have asked and, you know, posted my request to a group.
0: Yeah. And I guess also the the amount of work you had to get these examples also disappeared very quickly because normally if you want to find an example, you either need to go out and do the research yourself or find it in somebody else's research.
1: Right. Exactly. And if what you're looking for is not written down anywhere, but it's something, a practice that someone does yeah. or an experience they had, you're not going to find it in a book or an article or anything. You know, you've got to find that person somehow through the network and hear their story.
0: Yeah. And I guess if we then say, okay, now we talked a bit about like you know, the power of asking, you know, you can, incredible things can happen. We also talked a bit about, you know, how you're going to do it then and the, the barriers to that. We take that into an organizational settings. And I'm often thinking about that's really a place that may be very influenced by the education system as well, because very rarely, you know, what I've actually often as a senior person struggle is to get people to come either to me. Ask for help, or ask their colleagues for help. Like creating that whole, you know, cycle of actually reinforcing that actually it's smarter to ask for help and wait. You know, I'll see people Google answers instead of just going asking the right. obvious person because even though they know who that person is. Uh, can you talk a bit about that and how that impacts you know organizations both when it is difficult, but also when it you get really right? Yeah, but another
1: barrier is. In some workplaces, we don't feel psychologically safe Mm. to make a request. And it's true. In some workplaces, it's not very safe to make a request. But there are a number of things that, you know, if like if you're heading up a team or a group or in a whole organization, things that you can do. One is that the leader should be a role model of the behavior that they want to see in other people. So if you want people to more freely ask for what they need and to give and get help from one another. You've got to be a role model of that behavior. You need to make yourself vulnerable and ask for what you need and make smart requests. And when other people do make requests, you need to acknowledge them for the fact that they actually made a request and how important it is that we do that in our group or team and so forth. So you got to reinforce it when you see it in other people, reward it in other people, and you need to exhibit the behavior yourself. Other things leaders can do, and I you know I have a whole chapter of this in the book, is that there are a lot of tools and activities and approaches and methods that you can use that you can apply. So the reciprocity ring is one, but there are a lot of other ones that, you know, even in a place that seems psychologically unsafe, if you use some of these methods as a group, you know people will start small and they'll make very safe requests, but then, when they see that it works, It makes the place a little bit more psychologically safe. And when it's a little bit safer, then they're more likely to make a better request or a bigger request the next time. And then it becomes this virtuous cycle uh, or a virtuous circle where it's getting safer because people are experiencing the power of asking for what they need, the power of generosity and so forth.
0: And I guess when you you talk about an organization, you could have small to, to large organizations where you've probably seen people starting practicing this or the reciprocity circle. But how do they manage that? How do they get it out to people? Because one thing is that, you know, you, you stand on stage and you send out, we're going to start practicing this philosophy. And, you know, some line managers or directors would just grab that easier than others and go and implement it. What kind of help can you know these companies look for? Where should they look for inspiration? Is there specific companies even you should go and have a look at if you think this is an interesting approach?
1: Yeah, so there's a number of answers. So one is yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm recalling a student of mine who was an MBA student many years ago, and he was introduced to these ideas in the classes that I was teaching. And he worked for one of the really big global automakers, mm. um, which – Didn't have the safest culture when it came to asking. However, he was running a little group of just eight people. And in his world, he could do what he wanted to do. And his boss was skeptical, but when the boss started seeing the results he was getting, then he was rewarded for actually doing it. So look and see what is your sphere of influence. In his case, he had these eight people. That was his sphere of influence. He could work with them. Sometimes your fear, your sphere of influence is two people, two other people, and that's it. But that's a place to start. Now, at the other end, in terms of what like, the CEO could do for a very large company, my, one of my favorite examples is my friend and colleague, Jim Malazzi, who was the CEO and uh, uh, chairman of the board of Prudential Real Estate and Relocation, which is a very, very large company primarily in the U.S., but it had offices in other places as well. And when he took over that company, uh, it was failing. Uh, they were losing millions of dollars every year. They were they were hemorrhaging their best talent. Customers didn't like them, you know, but he knew about a lot of these techniques of positive leadership, about the power of asking and reciprocity. And from day one, from the first time that he, you know, that when he gave his first... Uh, talk to all the thousands of associates, either they were in a big convention center or they were streamed in from other places around the world. He modeled the behavior from the very first uh, speech that he gave. So mm-hmm. he did the usual thing, say, okay, a CEO, here's the corporate goals, et cetera, et cetera. But let me tell you what some of my personal goals are, and I need your help with these. And he stated, for example, some personal ones. So we revealed things about his personal life. So he was, he was headquartered out in Arizona, so in the far west part of the, of the states, but his family was back in Connecticut, which is in the eastern part of the state, mm-hmm. so it's a long way across the country. And he said, you know, he says, I don't want to miss any important events or dates or celebrations or anniversaries with my family. I'm going to need some help. Well, the Help is in terms of how you schedule things and you know, asking for other people to assist and on and on. And there's a a bunch of other things. He started this as a regular practice where he would, you know, he would reveal what his goals were, especially personal ones and ask for other people to help. For example, he wanted to, he wanted to get fit. So he was, he needed a, a jogging partner in the morning. So somebody came forward and said, I'll be your jogging partner in the morning. So things like that, even small things like that really showcase that whole behavior that, you know, not only it's not just okay to ask for what you need. It's expected. You should do it. It's good for all of us if you do.
0: Well, I think it's really interesting Well, this example you gave of a CEO really asking for something personal because then you also set the tone for what can be asked for within the company because often, you know, people feel they have to leave their private life at home and can't take it to work. And that's that's not how life really works, you know, and it just creates some complication. But you actually understand what other people need, especially your, your peers or colleagues. You can actually really help them. It could be not planning meetings at that time or expecting them to be available at certain times because you understand why they need that.
1: Right. Or as somebody says, you know, we have a new team that's formed and I'm, you know, I'm all in but I have to leave at 4.30 to pick up my little kids, you know, at preschool to get them home in time. But I could be back on later that, you know, so people would know, okay, well, this person has to leave at 4.30. We can't, we won't ask that person to go past that, but they're totally dedicated to use the time that they have before and after for, you know, uh, for the business. And I often will advise people that when they try out some of these activities, uh, for example, the reciprocity ring is a good one. When I have enough time, I actually will do, I will do two rounds of requests. So the first round is everyone has to make a request. And I go through some of the methods in the book about, you know, some worksheets, et cetera, to come up with a well-formulated request. So people give a lot of thought to it before they actually make the request. But I'll say in our first round, Cannot be related to work, cannot be related mm. to the business, cannot be related to the industry. Nothing. It has to be something about your personal life. And then people will, will I was amazed what people would then, they were then liberated to make a request for things. And there were sometimes th- things that would bring you to tears of what people needed and why they needed it. And then I said, okay, in the second round, okay, this could be business related. In fact, it has to be business related in the second round. And what I found is that that first round, when people would share more about themselves personally and yeah. give and get help, if you get help about a personal matter that's really important to you, that it starts to build this foundation of trust and confidence and connection with one another, and that really becomes the whole base that enables them to be even better at the business solving the business problems.
0: And it comes back to psychological safety again. That the stronger that is in an organization, we know that from from others we had on the podcast with leaders, that's really focusing on that, creating that psychological safety. Actually, the easier it gets to create very great results and turn things around. Yeah. Is there anyone you've seen that's taking this practice where they actually turned around a very bad situation, and you know you could almost trace back that one of the foundational things for that was actually being able to ask better questions in the organization or asking for help.
1: Yeah, there's a couple of people come to mind, but my favorite example would be, uh, this was a a former student of mine from several years ago, a different one than the one I mentioned before. Uh, His name was John, and he had just become the young CEO of a three-generation Business. It was the food wholesale business, and if you know food wholesale, the margins very, very, very thin.
0: Raise the thing, yeah.
1: And what he discovered when he became the CEO is that the business was failing, and he had six months to bankruptcy. Wow. And so he's like, "Well, you know, what am I going to do?" Well, he started to apply. He he applied a number of things, but one of the things that he applied was the stuff that we talk about in the book. In fact, I have an example. He's in the book in one of the latter chapters. And really, it was a very us versus them culture that he inherited where the the workers you know, didn't really trust the management and the management was trying to do the best thing. In fact, the, the managers were putting their own money in it to keep the business afloat. But you know, it was a lot. So he started down this process uh, and eventually was able to turn things around uh, to create a more positive culture where people would freely ask for what they need and they would give and get help from one another. And then the pandemic hit. Now, what happened during the pandemic? We know there were lockdowns and restaurants were people weren't going to restaurants. Well restaurants were one of their big there were a food wholesaler. That was one of their big customers were the restaurants and casinos and so forth. Well, they got together and they, you know, and they had built this positive culture up to leading up to that time. And they collectively figured out ways in which that during the pandemic, they had their best year ever in terms of sales, in terms of profits and so forth. And it's because they had built that foundation and turned a psychologically unsafe workplace into a psychologically safe workplace. And it's really an amazing turnaround story. And the test, the experiment, if you will, is, well, what would happen during the pandemic and a lockdown? And it turned out that it was, it's what enabled them to not only survive, but to thrive.
0: Yeah. And I guess because when the crisis hit, they were already ready. They were already, because of the psychological safety levels, were already ready to handle the crisis better than if they were feeling unsafe or slightly unsafe. So there's a brilliant story that is in the book. And if anyone, people on this podcast is connected with food knows how, how tough those businesses are and how razor thin the the margins is and exactly often on the, the culture bit that businesses fail. It's a typical good to great kind of example, the, the death spiral, that starts, and it actually comes from, you know, not being psychologically safe. So I think it's a very great example there, Wayne. What about technology and asking? Because... I think what I've noticed often is often people rather like to Google the answer or yes. use technology. It feels a bit more safe than maybe face the person and ask. I think that's one of my own experience. Maybe I'm wrong, but people really like to use technology to get the conversation started and asking for things. So we actually use technology to get, use LinkedIn to get it in conversation. So I could ask you if you wanted to come on on the show.
1: Right, right. Yeah. Yeah. Or... Or now, these, these days, people are using Chat GBT, right, yeah. to, to make requests, which I use as well. And I'm learning yeah. it. And it's really a great tool, uh, you know, for research and so forth. I think all of that, you know, Google Chat, GBT, all this, those, if those are methods are all can be effective and helpful and we should use them. But a lot of times what we need is somewhere out there in the network, the human network, and we have to tap into that in some way. But we can use technology to tap into it. So one of the, uh, over the years, we were always asked when we would run some of our activities and our activities were always face-to-face activities. Now it could be, oh, it, it could be a thousand people that we would then break up into smaller groups and, you know, there are other ways of doing it, but it was always face-to-face. And people always said to us, invariably said to us, you know, can you create an app for that? Is there, is there an app that will do what we want to do? And I would say, you know, you could use Facebook, LinkedIn, which can be effective. So finally, we decided that we were going to create a technology which is called Givitas. Mm. Givitas is a combination of giving and civitas, which is Latin for community, this idea. And can we build, can we use technology to build a community, a virtual community, it could be for people anywhere in the world, where they'd be in these very, very large groups. And you would be able to post a request using You know the smart criteria and so forth. Post a request and then look for, and then you can respond to other requests. And the whole question, you know, would this really work? And the fact was is that it does work. In fact, there's um, one of the my current research projects is that we used the this system with a group over seven about 500 people over a seven week period, and in particular, we were interested in to what extent would it create a more inclusive network? What I mean by an inclusive network is that it would make connections across different demographic lines, whether it was racial lines or gender or what have you, would it create a more integrated, inclusive network? And so we ran it and so we're analyzing the data right now and it shows very clearly that in this environment, people were were posting requests, not to anyone in particular, they posted to the entire group and that people would respond. And what we have learned is that they weren't responding in terms of whether, is this the same kind of person as me, right? Does it, this person mm. look like me? They That was like they ignored that. And so it really did create a more inclusive network and enable this giving and getting uh, of resources. Now, other I've mentioned other things like Facebook. So I'm in one or two Facebook groups for uh, particularly hobbies that I have. So. I lived in the uh, in the Midwest in the US, which is surrounded by the Great Lakes, uh, which contain about 20% of the world's fresh water. And these, they're like inland seas, they're very large. And spoke I, I like to go boating, right? And so there's groups of people, if you have, you know, a particular interest, like sailing on the Great Lakes, or if you have a particular kind of boat, there's a face Facebook group for that, you know, and so I would post a request to that. Right, you know, I'm, I'm thinking of going here and here. Has anyone gone there before? Right, and explain why and when I was going to go. Use the smart criteria. So there's a lot of groups out there already: LinkedIn groups, Face, Facebook groups, groups that we have that, that are technology technological groups, groups in our workplaces that we can use as well. So it's one of the many ways in which we can find a community to make a request to.
0: I love to work with the team over at Bizsimple. Because they are always striving to get better, 1% better every day. So I had to share this with you because we simply have launched a new blogcast which highlights some of their favorite hospitality maverick podcast episodes over time. And if you're new or hardcore super fan of the show, this is a perfect opportunity to catch up with some of the standout episodes from our massive back catalog the Simply team has and will be extensively transcribing interesting moments from each episode while providing some new insights on our brilliant guest the Mavericks there's already some great write-ups with Mavericks like Chef Santel Nicholson and the co-founder of Singerman's community of businesses Ari Weinswine. find them at thissimply.com slash blog and click Blogcast on the right side menu Enjoy. In your book, you you mention actually uh, a guest that has been on the show or his business, him uh, Ariane Paul's business, Singerman's, as a, as an example of a business that is very good at involving their people and actually you know asking them for requests, but also you know in you know encourage them to to ask. And he was also the one of them that said you should get Wayne on. The show at some point that'd be really 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 interesting to, to listen to can you talk a bit a bit about why you actually choose Singermans in the book because often still when i refer people to Singermans in uh, in the business context they never heard about them and they, especially in the world i am in the food i'm a bit surprised when i never heard about Singermans. so it's still this little incredible organization in in michigan uh who has built from a little deli now to plus 18 businesses doing really, really well, but it all comes down to, I would say you call it psychological safety in your book, like really strong culture. But can you talk a bit about why you choose them as an example? Because they are a bit of an outlier compared to general businesses you would choose.
1: Right. They really do run their business in a very different way and is a way in which really, you know, it's very human-centric in the way that they do it. And there's a, there's a number of things. Yeah. So Zingerman's is, it's well known in the food industry and it's like, it's become a destination uh, for people to know about it, who will come to Ann Arbor, Michigan, which is near Detroit. They will come there in order to visit and eat as several of the, you know, the Zingerman's businesses that are there. And yeah, they started in the early eighties as a small deli and they have grown into uh, like a $70 million business. But one reason that they're not as well known is that they made a decision to always stay in the Ann Arbor area. They had many opportunities to franchise, you know, let's, you know, let's franchise that deli and we'll put it in Las Vegas or let's franchise it and we'll put it in Florida or whatever. And they're always getting invitations to do this, but it's not part of what their vision is. So there's a lot of elements, they have a whole system. So I'll just highlight a few of them. One is that they have a very clear vision of what success looks like for them in the future. So they have a vision for like, so by the year of 2030, what do they want to be, right? You know, and part of that is that we will still be in the greater Ann Arbor area, right? And we will develop, you know, food-related businesses. We're not going to duplicate. We won't have two delis, but we'll have some complementary businesses. So, so they already have the, the vision of what they're trying to create. That's, that's a part of it. Uh, they have systems such as, uh, open book management, uh, which is sometimes, you know, people say, well, you share the financials, which they do. If you were there, they'd show you the financials if you asked to see them, but it's more than just the financials is they have a system by which they involve people, everyone. You could be the busboy, a server, a cook, a line manager, you know, one of the, uh, you know, senior managers of the whole business, uh, On a regular basis, they get together and they will, you know, like discuss the last week, uh, what happened. They have numbers, very specific numbers for every business. And it's not just financial numbers, it could be quality numbers and what they're trying to achieve in the next week. Again, this idea that we talked about before of being clear about where your goal is. And then the system enables them to make requests. Well, if our goal is to do this by next week, like to increase sales of this particular product, how are we going to do it? And then, you know, then they were brainstorming about how it's going to be done. So, this, the ideas that I write about in the book are like, like a part of their fabric, the ways that they do it. So, it's a very well developed system that's evolved over, over time. Now, sometimes people see what Zingerman's have done and say, well, that's a lot, right? How can I, I can't replicate all that all at once. And I'd say, well, well, you would, you, know, you don't want to do that. What you want to do is pick mm-hmm. a place to start yeah whatever it might be a place to start and then learn and grow from that oh and by the way i'll mention that if people do want to learn a lot more about zingerman's ari the ceo is a prolific writer and he has many books Uh, they also have uh, pamphletized the books so there's like smaller pieces of it that you can read as well so it's very easy to uh to learn more if everyone anyone wanted to
0: yeah, and he's an avid reader as well. And I have most of the book, and it's you know, you get you can get overwhelmed, as you said, but you have to start somewhere. And I think you talked about open book management, which I think it's I've tried that in other business I've been involved in, and it's actually you know, one of the most effective way of involving people in finance without it becomes finance, it becomes actually how can you move the bar, and actually, you get surprised. How much your people actually can improve your business, and actually turn it around, if that's what you need to do, or improve the financial. And we are, and you're all accountable for the P and L. And I think it's the great game of business by Jack Stack, which is a totally yeah. different conversation, but it's an incredible piece of work they've done. And now they're also teaching that, so you can go on the Great Game of Business website, and that's yeah. a different way of learning of asking very business specific things, you know, and make everybody a business person in the business.
1: I can give you a, one quick example when uh, Zingerman's uh, created one of its red uh, restaurants called the Roadhouse, which has been yeah. around for a while now in the beginning, you know, it had startup troubles. And one was that they they were wasting a lot of food. So their food costs were, were, were excessive or too high. So who did they ask? Again, this coming back to asking, they asked the bus boys Right, because the busboys were the ones who were scraping off the plates with all the wasted food you know, into the waste bin. Right, so they knew what wasn't being eaten, or what was they were serving too large of portions of, or that sort of thing. But you know, it's not like the usual thing. We'll get all the senior people together, and then we'll figure out what's going on. No, they went to they asked the people who were actually handling the food. What is it? You know, and it's just another. It's a really good example. I love that example because the busboys had the answers.
0: Yeah, and they were thinking all along. Why are we not doing anything about that? That's an incredible big waste we we we're doing here. Wayne, you you have an incredible book. But if you had to give a, another book away, nine out of ten times, what would that book be?
1: Oh well, like, can I mention two books?
0: Yeah, you can mention two. That's great.
1: Okay. So I would mention. One of Ari's books, like his book about beliefs or yeah. his book about open, open book management, I would recommend Ari's books, of course. Yeah. And then in a completely different industry, I would recommend a book by my friend, Shelly Archimbo, whose book is called Unapologetically Ambitious. And she was a senior executive at Xerox and then she became a CEO of, of a tech company and other things. And now she's a very active board director. Uh, but she actually, Shelley and I met because our books were represented by the same agent. We, that's Ooh. how we met. We've been in touch, you know, over you know over all these years. She's been a guest speaker in my class and so forth. Uh, but her book, Unapologi- unapologetically ambitious, I think is a very very helpful book for people who are that are in business, starting out, looking at a career in business because I think it's a very positive way of looking at it, but are also very a very savvy way of thinking about uh, about business,
0: yeah, and it's very interesting. you said the power of beliefs, because we interviewed or I interviewed Ari on that book because I thought it was one of the most you know it it just puts so many things together. It was like the missing element in how you actually build a great culture for me yeah. because actually what we believe is what we're gonna go and do, <laughs> so if you believe people are lazy, you're gonna go and. Do all their work and have they can feel that you think badly about them and it was like these you know the the circle of beliefs and how your actions build and how an organizations build and it's such a again a very simple idea but you know it's a great book it's a it's, it's heavily researched and I think it took him some years to write that book but mm-hmm. it's probably one of the most powerful business book I have read as well and it's one I also like to give away so I thought there were some really really great examples. What would be your top advice, Wayne, here on the last couple of questions to leaders out there that are trying to build a business as a force for good, a business that's do more than just make profit, also do some very good things for people, community, and, and the planet?
1: Well, the, um, somebody once said that this, the secret to happiness is indirect. Is mm-hmm. that if you try to pursue happiness directly. You won't be happy because that means you'll try to engage in activities that are like like watch a movie or go out to dinner or do things that are supposed to make us happy. And they do for a short period of time. They said that the the path to happiness is indirect, which is that by pursuing meaningful work and building quality relationships with other people, you will be happy as a byproduct. Mm. So the same thing is true in business. Is that if you are trying, if your main goal is shareholder value to be profitable and that's it, that's like pursuing happiness. You'll make decisions that will, you know, that will, you know, that will increase short term profits, but it's not going to create a sustainable business that is a force for good in the world. It has to be that, to that idea of, you know, you have to have a vision of what is your contribution to the world. And when you make that contribution, profits will come as a byproduct. So it's a different way of thinking about it, but I think it's a very helpful way. I would encourage anyone who is to, to look at Zingerman's visions. They published them so you could see what was their vision you know, a number of years ago when they were, when they were a young company. What's their vision now? And you'll see that you know, profit is part of it, right? But it, you, when you read it, profit is what enables them to continue to grow, to share resources, to reward their employees, and to continue to be a force for good in the world but it's not their primary motivation. Now that's heretical in many, in many spheres. And I teach in a business school, but that's what I teach, right? Is that if you really want long-term sustainable profitability, you need to focus on what is your contribution to the world.
0: Yeah. And I think it's, it's very interesting again, uh, and you touched on, on Singerman's and I think there's a lots of great organization being built actually out from the social mission. But they actually understand that profit is the tool, and uh, actually to get there, actually to to live that mission fully, and really do the impact. I, I talked with somebody earlier this week where he was very much about you know how can he actually end you know child hunger. You know he started this business because he wanted to, in a way, to to feed a million kids. That was the mission, and that's actually and funny enough, the business come off the ground and he's he thought he would be selling uh, an ingredient to kitchen now he's selling a, a snack bar because that mm. was the way you know you could both deliver you know a very good product for humans and the planet but also you could make that profit that was needed mm-hmm. to actually serve the wider mission which i think is an incredible story where what what would be one question you wish i have asked you Wayne and what would the question be and uh, what would you answer
1: yeah i guess the so I I I mentioned that I've recently became a professor emeritus uh which means I've retired from the university but I and and I joked with you saying that that means I'm still working I'm not getting paid anymore. So I guess the question would be like so what does somebody do so I'm continuing to do this to have these wonderful opportunities uh I'd like to speak to you today and so I try to I try to live my the what I wrote about in the book right yep. is that all you have to do is ask and so yep. I try to respond when people make requests, uh, as you have. I'm very happy to do so. But I'm also trying. I'm working. I'm working on a new book, which you probably wouldn't even mm. know about because it's a work of fiction. Ah. And so that's something. I don't know where it's going to go. I'm kind of in the beginning parts of it, but it's. Uh, and I have writer superstitions, so which means I can't talk about it too much. <laughs> but hopefully, some year down the road, I'll have another another book, but it'll be a contribution to in in a different way.
0: Super interesting, super interesting, Wayne. And a very, very good question, actually. Yeah. What 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 are you doing then? But it seems like you're still working on contributing positivity to to the world and make it a, a better place. Where can people connect and find out more about you and the work and especially if they want to know more about the book? Of course they can go and buy the book, but also is there a website where there's more materials?
1: Yeah, there's a there's a website for a book and then there's my personal website.
0: Um, and the,
1: and the book website, I have a lot of free resources. For example, there's a, a, an infographic that's like the, all you have to do is ask journey. Like it's the whole process and you'll see, you know, it kind of outlines the parts of the book and so forth. And it's a really helpful single page, very colorful reminder of the whole process, um, that we've talked about. Uh, so it's the book title, which is all you have to do is ask.com. Uh, and there's a whole bunch of other free resources there. Uh, you can take an online assessment. It's one of the assessments that's in the book, but if you, the one that's on my website is free. And if you enter your email address, it will also give you a comparative report. So we'll see how you your responses stack up with a population. So it's very yeah. insightful. In fact, sometimes when people say, how do I get started in this process? I'd say, we'll have you and a couple of other people take this assessment. So, yeah. that's free and it's up on the website. All you have to do is all you have to do is ask.com. Uh my personal website is my name, waynebaker.org. And as you know, Michael, you can find me on LinkedIn too.
0: Yeah. That's where I found Wayne. So, uh, that's a good good spot to to reach out. Thank you so much uh, Wayne. I'll send you a uh... Power and energy on the journey ahead, and good luck with the the new book. I'm gonna look forward to that, and I will read it because I actually I actually read nonfiction books uh, a lot of the time, and then at night I need something that takes me out of the the world of business, or else the brain just moves on, you know, and thinking about solving problems. So actually, I need to downward So actually, I'm I'm reading no totally normal biographies and so on in in the night, and and also uh, you know, fiction books.
1: Well, great, Michael. I'm glad to have this opportunity to speak with you. It's been a very enjoyable conversation.
0: I really appreciate that you're listening in. So if you enjoyed today's conversation, please share with others, rate it or give it a review or subscribe to one of our channels Which all can be done via the website, hospitalitymavericks.com. I believe that reading books is key to become a great leader. So I have helped you with a curated list of some of the books that have impacted the guests here in the show and myself over the years. Find it on Hospitality Mavericks website, hospitalitymavericks.com under the reading list. A big thank you to BizSimply for supporting us, bringing great insights, strategies and tools to help leaders to become better every day. Check them out at BizSimply.com on their social at BizSimply or BizSimplyHQ. You can also email them directly at podcast at bsimply.com. If you have any ideas and feedback for the show or other thoughts, reach out to me via LinkedIn or my email, michael at hospitalitymavericks.com. I'm Michael Tingsha, and you've been listening to the Hospitality Maverick Podcast Show. Be maverick!